Well, good morning. I think it's exciting to be part of a growing church. And as you saw in both the John's announcement and also in the video announcement, that uh, creates, you know, these moments in our, our life where we have to uh, shuffle th- some things around. But uh, it, is, it is awesome when uh, we are uh, forced to look at how we can create more space than, uh, rather than trying to figure out how we can do with less. And so this is an exciting church to be part of. If you're looking for a home church to be, uh, to be part of, I would encourage you to contact uh, the front office for more information. Hey, today we're, we're continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians. We're nearing the end of this thing now. And so if you haven't watched any of the previous ones, I would encourage you to go and uh, go to our website and watch um, the previous ones, especially last Sundays. I would encourage you to watch that one. Why? Because it ties in so much with what we want to talk about today. Today you would literally be able to almost say it's part two of last week because last week we started looking at and answering the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And we said last week that the Apostle Paul was sort of switching from talking about the theory of a, of a Christian life, you know, what, what some of those things mean. Now he's switched over and he's talking a lot more about the practical aspects of a Christian life. And so he's been giving a lot of direction and saying, here's what it looks like and here's, here's how to live it out and here's what it means to be a Christian. And so this Sunday, uh, we're going to continue on with that. But this week, we're talking a little bit more about how do we live out this Christian life. Last week, we focused on what does it mean to be a Christian. This Sunday, Paul is giving us a much more uh, clear description of saying, these are some of the things that you should and shouldn't do. Now, that may sound like legalism, but I want you to be under, clear and understand that the reason Paul is saying you do these things or you don't do these things is not so that you will be saved, but as a Christian, these, this is the lifestyle that you are now to live. Not so that you can be saved, you are saved through the grace and love of Jesus Christ, and that's the only way to be saved. But once you are saved, there needs to be a change. And so last week we talked about the old and the new, and, and we spent quite a bit of time on that. And so again, if you missed last Sunday, take a look at the, uh, um, our website. You can watch the sermons there. One thing you're going to find is that Paul is very clear that our behavior must line up with what we say we believe. We can't say that we believe in Jesus, but our behavior doesn't reflect him at all. We can't say that we are followers of Jesus, and yet the lifestyle and the way that Jesus lived and the love that Jesus had and the, you know, and the, and the way that he interacted with people, none of that is reflected through us. And so it's important for us, and Paul's very clear here, that our behavior must line up with what we say we believe. So Paul taught that our behavior reveals much about our spiritual condition. He's very clear about this, that the way we live and how we behave will be a reflection of our spiritual condition. And so today we're going to continue on by looking at, so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not just what is a Christian, but what does it mean to live as a Christian? Now in this book you're going to see that Paul uses the word walk quite often. He, he constantly talks about, you know, our walk and, and walk in this and walk in this. Now, our relationship with Jesus is not meant to be at a standstill. You've heard me say maybe before in the introduction that when you give your life to Jesus, you didn't cross a finish line, you crossed a starting line. In other words, we always say there's a journey ahead of you. 
Before you became a Christian, you were living for yourself. You were doing the things that you wanted to do. But now that you've given your life to Jesus, I hope that you recognize that you're not just waiting now for Jesus to come back so you can go to heaven. There is an amazing journey ahead of you. You've crossed the starting line. God has this incredible um, plan for your life. And so Paul talks here a lot about that we are walking in him. And so as a Christian, we are not to be at a standstill. We are on a journey, and that journey is a, you know, going to cause us to have multiple different experiences, but we are on this journey to discover who Jesus is, and so this is something that every single Christian needs to understand. Now, we live in an age in society, whether you live in Leamington or, or Windsor or wherever you're from, we live, in an, we live in an age where we are challenged to compromise, you know, it's difficult sometimes for a Christian today to, to draw a clear line and to stick to that line because so often we're challenged, you know, you need to compromise. You can't, if you insist that you're right, then you're insisting that someone else is wrong. And, and so this can create some tension for us as believers. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to, to draw these lines and say, I'm sticking to this. But as believers in Jesus, we are not to compromise we need to understand how we are to live. We need to understand what Scripture requires of us and, and how we are to live in order to be obedient to Jesus and never, ever compromise on that. We witnessed the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They struggled with this over and over and over. They would constantly, constantly compromise. They would, you know, move into a new area and they would begin to accept some of the gods of those areas and, and they would begin to change their lifestyle and those kind of things. And so suddenly they were far from who they were supposed to be as believers in Jesus. And so I think many of us today, as Christians today, we need to be careful that we don't compromise based on culture, that we don't allow our culture in the, you know, that we live in to, to affect us to the point where we are more focused on living out what's acceptable in culture than living out what we need to live out as, um, mod, uh, as Christians. Last week I made this comment, and I want to just rehash this really quickly. Nothing but the Word of God can change our thinking from the old to the new. So this is important <clears throat> because in our learning how to live as Christians, we are going to have to immerse ourselves in Scripture. I mentioned this last week, and I want to really push this again today, because if we are not immersing ourselves in, Christ, uh, in Scripture, our thinking is going to be based on what we think is acceptable. Our thinking is going to be based on how we become, you know, maybe even, you know, molded a little, a little bit by our culture or by our history or by, you know, our society or by our friends or even just by some of the things that we pick up from wherever. So it's important for us to immerse ourselves in Scripture so that our thinking and our behavior is based on what Scripture says. In the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel His Word. And through the law and through His Word and through the, the prophets, He would remind the people of who they were and who God was and, and how they were to behave. So we have, as Christians... We now have the scriptures, the Bible, and so it's very, very important for us to immerse ourselves in God's word. Without God's word, the Israelites had no idea how to please God, much less who God was. And the same is true for each and every one of us. I remember after I became a Christian last week, I shared briefly with you about kind of my journey towards becoming a Christian and then especially the first little while after I became a Christian and just, you know, how God spoke to me and revealed things to me. 
I remember when I became a Christian, one of the first things that I did is I just, I just had a hunger for God's word. And I just would read. I would spend hours and hours and hours reading the Bible. <clears throat> the first book that I chose to read was 1 Corinthians. Now, if you know anything about that book, um, that's not necessarily the best book to start with because there's a lot of church issues that are addressed in that book. But I read that book and I had so many questions. Then I read the four Gospels all at one time. Just, you know, I spent a couple days just reading and reading and reading. And, and, you know, you're amazed at all these different things. And then I jumped into Romans, you know, a nice light book, you know, and just looked at some real doctrine. And I remember thinking to myself, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And then I went to Bible college. And in Bible college, all of a sudden, it was opened up even more to me about, you know, the writer and who the authors were and, and who the people were and the culture that they were writing into and some of the, the context of that book. And I remember thinking to myself, I had no idea that there was so much that I didn't know about the Word of God. As a matter of fact, most Bible colleges in the first semester would say this, I didn't know that I didn't know so much. You know, because it's this concept of the more you study, the more you discover, and it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want to encourage all of us, and I'm going to just sit on this for a little bit, that if you're a new Christian or if you've been a Christian for a long time, immersing yourself in God's Word is absolutely vital to the health of your spiritual life. So I want you to all remember and all understand that if we are to grow in our relationship with Jesus, reading our Bible is at the heart of what that looks like. Growing in our relationship with Jesus, reading scripture is at the heart. And so let's take a moment this morning and look at some of these passages that we are going to focus on today. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. And Paul has some incredible things to tell us here. So let's follow along. Follow God's example, therefore, he says, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now let's stop there for a moment. I want to just remind you of something that's, that, that the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, I mean chapter 1 verse 5, where it says, he says, God is light. And he says, in him there is no darkness at all. And if you continue reading in 1 John, you'll see that it says that, you know, if we claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, that we're, we're lying because you can't say that I'm, I'm a follower of God who is light and then yet walk in darkness. Those two just do not go together. And so the Apostle John says that if you're claiming to walk in light but your lifestyle is completely filled with darkness, he says you're a liar. You can't be with God and walk in darkness at the same time. To have a relationship with Jesus then means to walk in light. And we'll look at that some more later on. So what exactly does this mean? What does it mean? Because I think it, it's important for us to wrestle then with the question of what does it look like to follow Jesus? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be a Christian, but I wonder if some of you are, are, are ever wrestling with the question, then, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does a, I hate to use it this way, but what does a Christian look like? That's a, a wrong question because we don't look a certain way, we don't dress a certain way, but what is the heart and the lifestyle of a Christian supposed to be? The first steps to follow Jesus is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul says here, follow God's example. The word follow here means imitate, that we are to be imitators of God. Our responsibility is to imitate Jesus. Our responsibility is to imitate God, to make it our goal to live according to his word. We can never be God. 
We can never be Jesus. We can never replace him. But it's our, it should be our desire of our life to imitate him in every area of our lives. The Holy Spirit, whom we receive after we give our lives to Jesus, wants to produce this kind of godliness in us through his power. But we must cooperate by focusing our minds and our hearts on being like Jesus. If we want the Holy Spirit to produce this work in us and to produce the fruits and, and give us the spiritual gifts and all those kind of things, we cannot say that we are following Jesus, but it looks nothing like Jesus. We can't say, well, we want to be followers of Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus, but then live over here completely involving and indulging ourselves in the things that satisfy our sinful nature. So in order for us to, to be followers of Jesus, we have to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And the only way we will know what that looks like is if we immerse ourselves in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 provides us with an example of what kind of a lifestyle or what an imitator looks like. We are to walk in the love that the Son of God displayed when he offered himself on the cross for us. Think about that for a moment. What does a Christian look like? One of the greatest examples of love we have ever, ever, or the greatest example of love that we have ever experienced in our lives is the love that Jesus Christ had for us when he was willing to give his life on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins. So what does a Christian look like? They are people who exhume, who just express love constantly. If you and I are people who, when, when someone looks at us, they see hatred, they see animosity, they see no compassion, they, they don't see any. The Apostle John would say to you, you can't say you are following the Son of God who showed love in an unconditional way while you are over here you know, showing none of those characteristics. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Obviously, it means then that we walk in his footsteps. And one of the most amazing things that we as believers have experienced is the love of Jesus that he displayed on the cross for us. So therefore, we need to love others as Jesus loved us. This genuine, divinely originated love is a stark contrast with the world's love that is described in verse 3. Let's take a look at verse 3. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The things the world loves and the things that the world you know, wants are rooted in self-interest, self-gratification, self-indulgence. So as children of God, we are to turn away from such acts because the purpose and the goal of a Christian is not to fulfill our own desires. The purpose of a Christian is to fulfill what God wants for us and who God is and to please Him with everything that we have. Last week we talked about the importance of taking off the old self. And so what Paul's doing here is he's giving us a very clear description of what he was referring to. Sexual immorality, impurity, or greed, sadly, have become very commonplace in our society today. For many Christians, unfortunately, it's also become part of their life. If you would be able to get into the secret lives of, of even church members and, 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 and Christians, we would probably discover that many of us in this room struggle with keeping ourselves pure at times. And Paul says here, these we are not to even have any involvement in these, in these areas. 
He even the entire world around us treats these as acceptable. Paul says here that we are not to have even a hint of these in our lives. I wouldn't fault any of us then for thinking, well, that's impossible. If you're sitting here today going like, okay, so what you're just describing to me, what Paul is describing here, well, that's impossible. How are we to live as individuals who never do anything wrong? I, I think it's, this is a very you know, obvious thing because we live in such a sexualized culture. But Paul pulls no punches here. Even when the entire world around us accepts and indulges in these things, Paul is saying, even in those environments, even in such a society, you are to be imitators of God. In verse 4, Paul goes even further. Not only are we to be imitators of Jesus in our actions, but also in our speech. Think about this. We're not only supposed to act a certain way and, and live a pure life, but he says, even in your speech, you are to be imitators of God. Now, before any of you draw the conclusion, because you heard Paul write about coarse joking and things like that, if, you, if any of you here are like, okay, so God doesn't have any sense of humor, God doesn't like you know, joking around, no, that's not what Paul is saying here. Rather, it rules out the kind of suggested, coarse, denigrating humor that centers around sexual innuendos and perversion. Paul says these kind of, this kind of language, this type of language, has no place in the Christian life. These are part of who we once were, but now as imitators of Jesus, these, this kind of joking and this kind of language has no place in our lives. Instead, we are to use language of thanksgiving. So I want to give you an opportunity this week to put this into practice. Think about this for a moment. If you live in a work environment that's very hostile or you live in a, in a work environment where there's a lot of coarse language or, or coarse joking around, what if you were the one? What if you were the one that filled that environment with positive language, positive, you know, um, you know, thanksgiving and expressing hope and gratitude and those kind of things? He says we are not supposed to speak that way. We are not supposed to involve ourselves in those things, he says, but rather to, in thanksgiving. Instead, we are to use language for thanksgiving. As Christians, our tongue should be occupied with giving thanks. While others may covet things that are unlawfully theirs, you know, Christians are to give thanks for what they already have and express gratitude for what God has already done. Think about it for a moment in your workplace. I'm not sure what the environment is like. But what a refreshing contrast we can provide a world. To show a world that you don't have to always live as this, you know, a world that speaks, you know, crude language and, 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 and things like that. That we can live and be thankful for what God has done. I want to share a personal experience here. After I became a Christian, um, about two years after, I went to Bible college and uh, <clears throat> language, uh, swearing, I shared that with you last week, uh, that was a, a big part, and I told you last week that I was, I was good at not being a Christian. I, I became a really good non-Christian. After I gave my life to Jesus, you know, there were some habits that I had that took a long time for me to get over, and I, I would have to say I'm still struggling with some of those things. Well, I went to Bible college, and I remember one day in Bible college, some of the guys pulled me aside, and they said, Ike, you're in Bible college. You can't be cussing. You can't be swearing like this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no, I was just dumbfounded. I said, there's no way I swear. They're like, Ike, you are dropping words all the time. 
See, I realized all of a sudden that, you know, it becomes such a part of who I was that even after I became a Christian, I had to dedicate myself. I had to, I had, I had to practice. I had to work hard at removing these habits from my lifestyle. Now, before you get any idea that Christians live this perfectly polished life, that's not true. We all struggle with sin. But the interesting thing is that every single one of us needs to now make a decision that we will not just continue on in those things, that we will, you know, do all that we can to even to this day, if we struggle with some of the things of the past, that we will do all that we can to remove those from our lives. The difference for me is that at one time I was okay with it. Now I'm no longer okay with it. My desire is to imitate God in every area of my life. And unfortunately, there are going to be times where I get it wrong. There are going to be times where things that I wish I hadn't done or whatever might slip in and, and I might still do them. But when we are okay with it and we become comfortable with it again, we are heading back to where we once were. Paul tells us here that we are to be imitators of Jesus. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. He says, For out of this, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In the most simplest and most practical terms, to walk as a child of God is to walk in light. We read earlier that God is light and that in Him there is no darkness. So if we identify as followers of Christ, if we identify as, as people who want to imitate Jesus, then obviously we need to live in this light. It is important for us to remember that just as we are not to compromise in our faith, just as we are not to compromise in our faith and, and, and do the things that we once did, it is also very, very important for us to remember that we are not to live as arrogant, obnoxious, holier-than-thou individuals either. We as Christians cannot have this attitude about us that we're better than other people. We as Christians are to be imitators of Jesus in every way. Not only in removing ourselves from sin, but also in embracing and loving other people. We are to live a life that reflects the hope and the light of Jesus so that unbelievers would receive a glimpse of something infinitely better than what, than the, what they have now. In verse 5 to 8, Paul makes it clear that those who practice deviant behavior do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are not to live a life that imitates the things of the past. But we can't then, at the same time, present ourselves as we have it all together in the rest of the world. You know, are these losers who, who don't. We need to love and we need to cherish individuals and give them a glimpse of who Jesus is. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 17, Paul calls out this vain, futile way of thinking. Here in verse 6 now, he links this futile thinking to futile words. Empty words and empty thinking have their source in the foolish notion that God is okay with sin. 
And so Paul here is saying, again, just as imitators of God, God does not tolerate, he does not accept, he will one day judge behavior that is not in line with who he is. Look at verse 6 again. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. What does Paul mean here with empty words? In light of what he has just said, I think he's warning the believer not to be swayed into believing that it's okay to live as they once lived. Over the years, as I've been a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked quite often, and this is a beautiful question, it's an important question, people ask me sometimes, so is it a sin for us to go into places like a bar or these parties in order to reach our friends with the gospel? complicated, and I, and I love that they frame it this way, that is it a sin? Well, I'll say it this way. I'm not the judge of whether it's a sin or not. I don't have that authority, and I'm, I'm definitely not making that decision. But here's, here's what I would, I would suggest. I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that if we try too hard to blend in, and if we try so hard to blend in with what everyone else is doing, then eventually the question we have to ask ourselves how will they see the difference? If I strive so hard to blend in so that I'm accepted by my, my unchristian friends, and if I try so hard to blend in with what everybody else at work is doing, and so I go and do all the things that they do, hoping that one day I'll have a chance to share the gospel with them, if I try too hard to blend in in every way, then how are they supposed to see the difference in the hope that I have? So that's my answer to that question, because I think it's important for us that we recognize that we are to be a light in these dark places. But that does not mean that we have to judge people and, and, and push people aside as if though we're better than them. Paul warns the church here strongly not to partner with unbelievers. Some translations use the word partakers. So at the same time, we, we need to ask ourselves, and so what does this mean for us? We can't partake in darkness and in light at the same time. We can't take part in what the world offers us and then what God offers us. We can't hold both at the same time. So let's pause here for a moment because I think this needs a little bit more time. How do we wrestle with this? What do we do? Are we supposed to now, as Christians, remove all non-Christians from our lives? Are we to hide ourselves away from unbelievers? Are we to buy only from Christians? Are we supposed to live or listen only to Christian music? Only associate ourselves with fellow believers? Only do whatever we do, every place that we go, every person we're with, they're only Christians? Is that what Paul is saying? That we're not to, to be partakers in the world or with unbelievers? What, what does this mean for you and I? If you're not ever wrestling with these things, you need to because this is an important thing because every single one of us is surrounded by people who don't believe what we believe. So how are we as Christians to live? The obvious answer is of course not. There's no way that we can remove ourselves. That's called a cult. We can't remove ourselves from every non-believer in the world. However, when we are among non-Christians or non-believers, we cannot live like them. The light of Christ needs to shine through us. And I guarantee you, if you allow it, the light of Jesus will shine through you. Because God is light. 
Jesus is the light of the world, and when we accept him into our hearts, he lives in us, and his love and his light and, and who he is will, radi- will shine through us. And at times, this is going to become tense. At times, there's going to be tensions with this. You're, you're going to be like, well, how do I love this person, and how do I interact with this person when their lifestyle and when their choices are so different from mine? This is part of what it means to be a Christian. We cannot just isolate ourselves and wait for Jesus to come back so that we can go to heaven. We need to go and proclaim the message of Jesus, but we must do it as imitators of Jesus in every area of our lives. At the same time, I want to emphasize again that we cannot have an attitude that says that we are better than them or see ourselves as better than non-believers. Our pride can also stand in the way of sharing Jesus with others. Paul closes the section by appealing to the most simplest logic of all. He says, live as children of light. We must walk as Christians of light, or of children, children of light because we are God's children and God is light. This statement clearly exp- separates the past from the present. It calls for change. Who we once were is no longer who we are. The Apostle Paul knew this better than anyone. There was a time in Paul's life where he was out killing and hunting down Christians and, and having them arrested. And, and obviously, once they were arrested, they were often killed. And so when Paul gave his life to Jesus, there was a, significant, there was a massive transformation. The world in which Paul lived, when they saw the trans- transformation that took place in Paul, they were convinced that something amazing had happened to him. The same opportunity is available to you and I. I think it's sad that many Christians have this belief that if they live passionately for Jesus, that somehow they're going to be rejected and somehow it's going to interfere with their opportunities in community. I don't think that this is true. Oh, there's going to be you know, people that call themselves Christians that are going to make it difficult and make us look bad. But I think when we genuinely express our love for Jesus to others, I'm convinced that people have a desire to see this and that people will respond for the most part in a positive way. I deeply value the friendships that I have, and I want to be careful how much I share here because I deeply value the friendships that I have with those outside of the church. and, and, And I actually, this is going to sound weird, I actually appreciate when sometimes when I'm with them and they'll swear and they'll say, oh, sorry, excuse my language. I appreciate that not because I can't handle it, but I appreciate because it's the respect that they show. And so you can have these amazing relationships with others who, who maybe aren't followers of Jesus. You don't need to separate yourself from everyone. From my personal experience, um, Marie and I, we, we know from Scripture that not everyone will accept Jesus. And Jesus actually tells us that in this world you will have trouble. And he's, he even goes as far as to say that people are going to hate us, but he says, remember, they're going to hate, they hate you because they hated me first. So yes, there are, are going to be moments in our lives where there will be hostility. I've definitely experienced some of that myself over the years where when people find out that I'm a Christian, there's hostility. That's just part of the journey, folks. Let it go. Continue to love. Continue to express this hope in Jesus. My personal experience in this has that the world is looking for genuine faith to be expressed in Christians. 
Maria and I, we've had amazing opportunities over the years to have friends and have people in our home um, from our community and, and outside of our, our, you know, our town even. And I remember we had this one really good friendship with this individual and they, they lived you know, a life that we would definitely not have understood or agreed with. And I, I remember one time a pretty hot topic came up, a social issue that, you know, there's different, very different views that we would have had with this individual. And they begin to just kind of lean into Christians and how, you know, Christians just hate them and Christians have rejected them and Christians this and Christians that. And I'll never forget this individual all of a sudden stopped and just said, well, okay, sorry, not everyone because you guys aren't like that. I don't know about you, but that creates a tension within me. On the one hand, I'm like, okay, good, I'm glad you recognize it. But at the same time, on the other hand, I'm over here going, have I been bold enough in my faith that they understand that there's some disagreement. I hope you understand the tension I'm talking about. But I think if we just separate ourselves from all non-Christians and see ourselves as we don't have an opportunity to influence them, when you allow the love of Jesus to flow through you, you are attractive. People are looking for genuine love. People are looking for people who are going to Accept them and embrace them. Doesn't mean you agree with everything they do. So Paul tells us here, Paul tells us here to be followers, to be imitators of Jesus. This means removing those things in our lives that are unhealthy, that are part of our past. But at the same time, it calls for us to love and to live as Jesus lived. So I want to challenge every single one of us here today to walk in light as children of light, to walk as imitators of Jesus in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to speak on this. And God, I know that in every single one of our lives there's going to be these moments of tension where we want to follow you and it requires then that we remove some of the things from our past that we used to be involved in. But Lord, my prayer, Holy Spirit, is that you would open our eyes to recognize that that's only part of the journey. Yes, we're supposed to get rid of the past. But Lord, I pray that as followers of you, as imitators of you, we also see what you did. Not just what you didn't do, but what you did. That you loved the unlovable. That you hung out with those people who were often social rejects. Or or you were able to touch and and care for the, the, the most troubled of individuals. So Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would allow us to have eyes that see that when we surrender ourselves to you, that it's not just about removing the past, but it's also about this amazing journey of being used by you. So God, I pray, use us as a church. You see the renovations that we're talking about. You, you, see, our past, you see our past, you see our future. We just submit ourselves as a church, as individuals to you, that we would be used by you. That as a church and as individuals, we would imitate you, that we would live for you in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.